Here, let's go. Okay, now we are in a Bible series, okay, um, on the entire Bible's narrative. Okay, we are on a series. So, if you are new to our church, welcome to also our series from the pulpit. We are taking 18 weeks, taking us all the way into June to take us through the entire story, the big story, right? The sweeping meta-narrative of the whole Bible. It begins with creation, right? God creates a good thing. He puts His image into the temple. He puts Adam and Eve, right? Created in His likeness into the temple. And then they decide to decide for themselves what is right and wrong. The fall happens. Sin comes into the, into creation, you know. And then from there, it's just a downward spiral, right? And then God resets one time. When the earth is full of violence, God resets with the flood. Then the, then the people gather one more time, you know, to, to make a great name for themselves, build a big tower. God resets twice through Noah's flood and the Tower of Babel. And then God is going to do a resetting for the third time. But this third reset is going to be a far slower paced one, right? He's going to take the entire, the rest of your Bible, right? Majority of the rest of your Bible to do this third reset. He's going to begin with one guy. And today we are on this one guy. It is the promise that he will give to Abraham. Abraham, okay? And God's word is that he's going to give a promise to his people. What? Number one, his promise is to restore the world. Everything that went wrong at the fall, everything that seems to continue to go wrong through uh, the things that, that necessitated the flood, necessitated uh, um, what happened at Babel, God wants to restore the whole world. And he's going to take this promise, he's going to give it to one man, and he's going to pass it down from generation to generation to generation. Your whole Bible will be a story of this promise being carried down from generation to generation. It will go through some ups, it will go through some downs, okay? And I've been told that the slides are already up, already on, uh, on the link tree. So if you scan uh, 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 the chair in front, the QR code on the chair in front of you, you can access the slides right now, right? So the whole story of your Bible is God's project. It's His work to redeem the world, right? To restore it through generations. And in the end, He's going to fulfill. He's going to, this project is going to come into completion. We just sang the words, your promises never fail, right? I know your thoughts, your plans for me are good. Your promises never fail. He will fulfill His promise. His promise may appear to take long to be fulfilled. It's going to take the whole Bible story to progress, but He will come good on His promise. Through whom? Through Jesus Christ whom He has sent. And so through Jesus, the coming of Jesus, the kingdom, the salvation on the cross, He is going to bring about the renewal of the whole world and everything that was broken from here eventually gets resolved in the Apocalypse book at the end of your Bible, the book of Revelation. Amen? But we have to begin 
with Abraham. Okay, now today is a lot of grandmother, grandfather stories. Okay, I like to call them the Akong Ama stories, right? I love hearing Akong Ama stories. So today is going to be that. Okay, also because I know there are probably many of you here who are not so familiar with our church. I don't want to hit you with kind of like uh, one hour of, you know, super heavy stuff. But it is a primer on God's promises traveling. So I'll try as much to do that through. Akongama stories. Now, when I was a kid and I wasn't a Christian, I knew that the Bible talked about a guy called Abraham. And I was thinking, what? What Abraham? Abraham Lincoln, is it? Right? And so, uh, no, it wasn't, right? Abraham is, God chooses one man. He chose one man in Adam. They failed. He chose one man in Noah. Eventually, things got bad again. So he chooses one man again in Abraham. Now, when the story starts, his name is Abram, okay? He got changes his name. The Jewish pronunciation for Abram is Avram, right? And sometimes I'm a little pretentious. I like to use the Hebrew sounding name, okay? Um, so don't worry about that. It will come back, okay? Um, so he's, he calls this one man. He finds one man, okay? Don't worry about the screen, okay? Uh, look at me. He finds one man, okay? And then he calls this one man. I'm going to read it out to you. You're going to hear, okay? Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, okay? Meanwhile, the team's going to try to fix the screens, but you hear the Word. Now, God said to Avram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. So he goes away from three things. Go away from your country, go away from your kindred, and go away from your father's house. To where? To the land that I will show you. Huh? I don't even have a map. Ma. Just go wander around to some land. Yes, who's going to show me? I will show you. Give me the whole map. No, I will show you bit by bit. Okay? To the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the world will be blessed. Wow. Picks one man, tells him, get out of your family house. Start traveling. I won't tell you where. I will lead you step by step. Right? And because you will do this, I will bless you. Right? And because I bless you, not only will I bless you, I will bless the whole world through you. So God's going to use Abraham. At this point, his name is Avram, right? To bless the whole world. So, you know, God's got a way of work. He doesn't just go out there and just bless everybody one by one. In this case, he's going to use one person, bless the one person, and then through this one person, bring this person about to be a blessing for all the people around them. I want you to see this. Move out from your father's house. Now, God calls this one man to come out. You have to understand, they live in a, in a collective culture. Today, we live in 21st century, westernized, Americanized, individualistic. Most of us are fairly independent, can earn a living for ourselves culture, right? Back then, it wasn't like that. The patriarch of a family 
provides for and gives protection to the entire clan. And as long as the patriarch is still around, the patriarch provides and, uh, uh, protection and provision to everybody, right? To take one guy out. Now, don't, don't be mistaken. Abraham is not young at this point. He's already an older man. Okay? He has a wife. He has no kids. He has been, their family has been barren for many, many years. Okay? But he still has an older father. To take this man out is as if to say, I'm going to restart a family with you. I'm going to get you to reset a new family away from your father's house. And I know that some of you may have had in your own life to grow up before your time or to grow up ahead of your peers. Maybe it was circumstances. Maybe your parents weren't available and you needed to, to, to grow up quicker. Maybe you had a younger sibling, much younger than you, whom you needed to take care of um, uh, in, in a way that your parents could not do because they were working hard to earn a living. For whatever it is, if you've gone through that kind of life, our hearts, our prayers are with you because it has made you into a certain kind of person. It's caused you to be more resilient, uh, uh, more mature ahead of your time, but it's also in some ways uh, come at the expense of, let's say, a childhood, right? Let's say uh, a teenagehood or something like that, okay? It just wasn't quite in step with your peers. Avram is going through something like that. He's being taken out from his father's home. He's going to be planted in a land with no relatives other than whoever he comes up with. And he's going to be told, you go. You go and start something new. And what is God's going to do? God's going to turn him into a great nation. Upper great nation. Anak pun How to become a great nation, right? He's no children. He's getting on in years. His wife is getting on in years. They have no children. How are they going to become a tribe? Never mind a nation. Right? But God says, yes, I'm going to turn you into a nation. And interestingly, He says, I'm going to make your name great. How many of you remember when the peoples gathered after the flood to build the city of Babel and they wanted to build a tower in the centre of the city that reaches into the skies? Why? Eh? Because they wanted to make... They wanted to make their name great. Right? So it's interesting, God did not let them make their name great there on their own terms. But when God picks Abraham and sends him out into the open, He says, I am going to make your name great. Isn't it a strange thing? So does God want their name to be great or not? It seems like mixed signals if you don't think about it thoroughly. The reality is this, God does, God is not a killjoy. God does not want to cripple your life and stifle you and give you only bad things. Quite the opposite, right? I know your thoughts, your plans for me are good, right? He does want good things for you. But He knows that when we pursue them on our own terms, that most of the time we will miss it. We will chase after a counterfeit 
and Babel was a counterfeit, we will chase after a counterfeit and miss out on the real thing. And so God will not let us pursue a great name on our own terms. We will chase after the wrong thing. It will kill us. It will destroy us. It will mangle the image of God in us. So how does God do it? He says, I will take you out and you will do things my way and in so doing, I will make your name great. Amen? And then in the end, He says, in you, all the families on the earth will be blessed. Amen? Do you want to be a blessing to the people around you? How many of you, you know someone, um, maybe at work, maybe you're a neighbour, maybe someone in your I don't dare say, maybe even a relative, you know. When they're around, uh, your quality of life immediately drops. <laughs> when they walk into office, immediately the atmosphere immediately plunges. Or when they show up at the dining table, it's like, wow, what storm, what storm did you bring to our table today? You all know? You have experienced that? Hey, you all never experienced this? Uh? God, right? God, right? I'm going to ask you, do you want to be that person? Do you? Are you that person? <laughs> church. You're not that person, right? You're not, huh? Okay, now I'm going to be straight. Sometimes we do become that person, okay? Sometimes we find it hard to regulate our emotions. Sometimes we find it hard uh, to control our bad mood. Okay, so yes, sometimes we become that person. Okay, and church, I want to encourage you that the Holy Spirit in you is stronger than that which is also in you, which is your bad mood and your bad, nasty disposition. The Lord's holy, powerful, good, loving disposition inside you is stronger than your nasty disposition. So when you show up at an office, at the table, at wherever you go to, you do not have to yield to the nasty disposition. Good or not? You can yield to the gentle power of the Spirit and He can take over and turn you into a blessing. Through you shall your family and all the families around you be blessed. Today, we are successors of this part of the promise as well. We are custodians. We received it from whoever who gave you Christ. We received this as part of the package. And so I'm very joyful to let you know this Chinese New Year that as someone who belongs to Christ, you are in the Spirit. You do not have to carry with you something that's going to take over you and cause you to be unpleasant. But God in you, the hope of glory. Amen? His promise is to restore the whole world, to pass it down through generations and to fulfill it in Jesus Christ. I showed you just now. He starts with one man in Adam. Everything went wrong. And then he resets and restarts with Noah. And everything still didn't go well. And he's going to restart one more time now with another one man. He's not going to wipe out the whole world anymore. He already promised he's not going to do that again. But he's going to pick this one man and cause him to become a family, 
family is going to become a nation. A nation is going to bump up against other nations, you know, and eventually they're going to go through civilizations, you know, and then eventually through this family and through a genealogical line is going to come Jesus Christ, who will be the ultimate reset with the one guy, right? And so that's the total story. Now, there's one day, one day in Abraham's story, while he is already stepped out, he is walking with his own little, you know, I won't call it a nuclear family. It's him, his wife, their servants, you know. He also went out with one of his nephews and then of course his nephew's family and so on and so forth, right? So he brought out a small, a little bit like a church plant, okay? A little bit like that, okay? Now one night, while Abraham was in his tent, okay, after these things, the word of Yahweh came to Abraham, okay, um, in a vision. Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield and your reward, and your reward shall be great. But Abraham said, O Yahweh Elohim, what will you give me? For I continue to be childless, right? No children yet. How to become a nation? And then God said, brought him outside. First he asked, actually, uh, actually uh, I, have a, I have a worker, I have a servant, right? Do I have to adopt my servant to be my son so that my son can be my, be my lineage, you know, continue my family line? God said, no need. He brings him out. He said, come out of your tent. And he comes out of the tent, no? look at the sky. He looks at the sky, no? right? He said, what do you see? All the stars of the heaven. And this is not like looking at the sky in KLCC Park, eh, where there's so much light pollution, you can't see nothing, right? You can't see anything. It's all trees and skyscrapers and then nothing, right? It's, right? it's not, right? When Avram looks into the night sky, it's full of stars. And the picture that I put on the screen can only capture it like 0.1% of the glorious beauty that was the night sky every night, not just this night, every night for them. And God said, can you count the stars? Effectively, I'm paraphrasing, right? Number the stars. It's, of course, not doable. And then God says, so shall your offspring be. You see all the stars? If you can number them, so shall the number of your offspring be. Hi, Empire. Got no children. How to become like so many? Church, I'm going to ask you do you believe that you are among those stars? Your number is counted among those stars. Can I say you are counted among those stars? Today you are here, you have saving faith in Jesus Christ. You say, Jesus is my hope, my Lord, my Saviour. You are counted. Little children, can I say this? You're a star. You're a star in Jesus Christ. Because when Abram looked up at all those stars and he said, no way I can count, part of the no way I can count includes you little children. And some of you are too young to hear this sermon. Parents of very little children, your children are counted among those stars as well. And the best part is, there's no two tiers of, of stars. There's no one special VIP star and then the, and then the less uh, commoner stars, you know. Um, it's just numbers. Uncountable of what? of people who will be brought into the family of Abram. Some through blood and then 
Chinese people with no genealogy line uh, to, to uh, 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 Abraham, you know, Africans, East Malaysians, Indians, all of us in this place. We have Filipina in this place. We've got all kinds of nations actually in one house here. Koreans in this house right now as well, right? We have got a mixture in this house. I, can, I dare say that almost none of us have genealogical lines going back to a Jewish family. And yet, we are counted among those stars. Some through blood, others through adoption. But adoption into sonship is sonship nonetheless. Amen? Amen? And that's fantastic. So he promises him this, right? You will be as numbered as many as this. Now, here's the thing. He's going to say to him, I'm going to give you a promise, okay? He's going to make a deal with Abraham after this. And part of the deal is, if you walk with me, I be your God. I be your God. You be my people. I be like a father to you. You be like a son to me. And then I will give you all these things. What are the all these things? How many of y'all know what are the all these things? The all these things, I've simplified it, are all of these things. You will become a nation. I will give you a great name. I will give you a new name. I'll give you land as inheritance. Your descendants will be numerous, as numerous as the stars in the sky, right? You will become a blessing to the whole world. The whole world will be blessed through you. You will rule over your enemies, right? And in this strange new family, it so happens that the younger, the older one will always serve the younger one. The younger one will be the head and not the tail, right? But through your family will come kings. Wow. Priests as well. Yes. Prophets as well. Yes. Right. All kinds of, of people will come through your family, but also all kinds of scoundrels. Right. That's not part of the promise, but that's what happens later. Right. Kings will come from your family. Not just that. The throne that your family establishes that I establish in your family will be an eternal throne. No, the king will never step off from this throne. Wow, what a promise. And you will build God's house. I will be God to you. I'll be like a father to you. And I will forgive all of your sins. God makes these promises to Abraham and his successive generations over many, many, many rounds of confirming and reconfirming and reconfirming this promise. And we call this a covenant. Okay, I'll go deeper into what a covenant is later. But he renews his covenant. It's like getting married. How many of you are married? Raise hands, wave, wave. Okay, happily married, unhappily married. Also wave, it's okay. Yeah, don't wave, don't wave. Okay, right? When you marry your spouse, right, you stand at the altar and you say, I pledge my life to you, right? I forsake all others, right, to love you for better or worse, for richer or poorer, uh, uh, um, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. That is your cutting covenant. You're saying that I am yours, you are mine, you know. And then in this, in this scenario, God is going to show that woe betide you who break covenant. Uh, if you go and be unfaithful and disloyal, something's going to happen, okay? But as long as you stay filial, as long as you stay faithful and loyal and allegiant to God, you get all this. Do you want all this? 
Some of you, maybe, I'm not so ambitious, pastor. I don't need an eternal throne. I don't need my children to become kings. Ordinary people can earn a good living, good enough, right? No, this is our inheritance. This is our inheritance. Now, by the way, before I go on, I've got this all, all, all that in the previous slide, this is the bonus content, okay? It's deeper level research um, from this, I got this, okay? So this is the actual breakdown of exactly where uh, in the Bible God gives which promise about what to whom, whether it's to Rebecca and Isaac, to Jacob, Moses, Solomon, pro uh, the other prophets, Ezekiel, uh, Zerubbabel. So God gives all of those promises to different people. I won't go into that. It's additional stuff for you. It's on your slides. But let me tell this story. Remember Aquama's story, okay? Let me tell this story in a different way. Last year, I showed you some of these slides that I'm going to show you again, okay? It's, you see how one man grows into a family, okay? He starts with Abraham. He puts a covenant. He makes a covenant. He cuts a deal with him. That's why the letter C, okay? The letter C means his Abraham is someone he cuts a deal with. He's going to grow Abraham into a family with 12 sons. And those 12 sons will have their own children, so they become 12 tribes. And out of those 12 tribes, each tribe is going to become so big that collectively, they are going to become a nation. That nation is going to be called Israel, the biblical Israel that you're going to see throughout your Bible. This is going to be a fulfillment of these two promises. You're going to become a nation. Your descendants are going to be super numerous, okay? And then he says this, if you keep fidelity with God, God will make them the centerpiece of the whole world. God's plans for the whole world, they will be the centerpiece of it, right? Why? Why is the whole world now involved? Because God says it's too small a thing for you to only be interested in your own clan, your own tribe, your own nation. Instead, I'm going to turn you into a light, a beacon, a lighthouse, a city on a hill for all of the nations around you so that when all of the nations see you, they won't see you and hate you. They will see you and give God thanks and praise for you that such a great nation exists. Okay? And through this, it's going to fulfill this blessing. They're going to be a blessing to the whole world. The whole nation will see God's Abraham's family becoming a nation. They will be drawn to that family. When they come to that family, they will all now also become inheritors of the covenant. So you see that they didn't have the sea. When they come to Abraham's family, now they all each have the sea. They all become partakers of the covenant covenant with God. They all become covenant nations and through this they become one new man. One people belonging to God. This is the plan. This is God's beautiful vision for what it means when God... Now, many of you have heard it said, Israel is God's chosen race. Heard that before? Right? This is the plan. You don't have to say no to it. It's true. Israel was chosen to fulfill this. To fulfill this. And then where they have failed on earth, God's going to fulfill it through Jesus. Okay? This is what it's supposed to look like. It's supposed to be that when He fulfills it, they will rule over their enemies. They will have kingly descendants and eternal throne. They will build God's house. God will be their God. They will be God's people. There will be a father-child relationship and God will forgive 
all of their sins. Now, I can tell you this. Among all of the promises that you see on this light green slide, there is one that is not properly fulfilled. Do you all know which one? Can you all guess which one? They have not highlighted yet in light green. Turn to the person next to you. Do a little quiz, right? Turn to the person next to you and guess which one has not yet been properly, fully fulfilled. Land. Land. Yes, they did. Some people looking at this will say, no, 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 God, God. Because uh, when, when the Red Sea parted, they went across and then they wandered for 40 years. Then they entered. I remember Jericho. They entered the land. Yes. And so there are some scholars and some Christians who say, no, this has been fulfilled. They have received their land. You know? And then later, if they lost it, that's their problem. But they have already received their land. Okay? There are other scholars and there are other Christians who say, yeah, they received their land and then they lost it. They are supposed to receive their land as what? An inheritance. It's not an inheritance if they have only received it and then lost it. You can't lose your inheritance. So there are people who say that you've received it, you've lost it, you've got to take it back. And then out of that subset, there are those who are hoping for it to be taken back in one way. And then there are those who are hoping for it to be taken back in another way. And, in, and then within that subset, there are those who believe that you need to take it back through the wars that are happening right now in the Middle East. You all understand where this is going? You all understand today, now, why there is conflict in the Middle East? It's related, it goes back, and it's not entirely related because there are other interests in that land, but it is related in some ways to the original promise that God will give them a land as an inheritance. Now, I'm not here to tell you only, to teach you only one version. If anything, I see my role as being to give you different thoughts by different people and you go figure it out because, because i much rather you wrestle with the issues and come to your conclusions about how you want to interact with geopolitics today, okay? I'm not here to, to steer your geopolitics. I'm here to steer your faith towards Christ. So if it's in the Bible, you're going to see me steering you in and towards it, okay? Now, this issue of land is going to be hard. Because some of us are going to feel that it's already been inherited, it's lost, and it's, we're not going to inherit physical land anymore. And then there are others who are waiting, genuinely, earnestly awaiting for the inheritance of more physical land. Now, I'm going to get into that in a moment. I'm going to deepen this in a moment. Hebrews chapter 11. How many of you are famous with this? Is it, is it, uh, 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 acquainted with this. Hebrews 11 is a very famous chapter in the Bible. It's often called the heroes of faith chapter of the Bible. Hebrews 11 lists down all the, what it calls the heroes of faith, right? Starts with, and Abraham by faith did this. Sarah by faith did that, right? And then uh, uh, Isaac by faith. Jacob by faith. Joseph by faith. Moses by faith. Rahab by faith. And he says, I don't even have time to go into to all of the others and he names a whole bunch of judges, right? And so on. Okay? Hebrews 11 says that all of these people in your Bible 
who followed God by faith. Y'all ready for this? These all died in faith. So they died carrying their faith. Huh? They never let go of their faith. Huh? These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. Now I can tell you this, this is probably the hardest slide for all of us to take in the whole of this morning. So all the slides after this is easier to digest after this, okay? They all died holding their faith. They never let it go, but they died not having received the thing promised. What kind of promise is it that you don't receive it? Now, I showed you just now, they did receive a whole bunch of different parts of the promise. Did they have uh, uh, kingly descendants? Yes. That one checked already, right? Did they have many numerous? Checked already. A lot of them checked already, okay? And then some of them are still either outstanding. Is there an eternal throne? Some of them believe that, you know, no, they don't receive Jesus as their king. So, so there's no eternal throne. And of course, the issue of land, which will show up in Hebrews 11. Some of them died not seeing the full fulfillment of the promise. And it's going to be hard because just now we were here worshipping and Suzanne was releasing this word. And it's a good word saying that God will fulfill all His promises. But how? He's going to fulfill... So I'm going to give you the ending. Huh? He's going to fulfill some of His promises after we die. Some of the promises of God will not be fulfilled while we are alive. Because you can see for yourself, they died in faith, not yet having received what was promised. But having seen them and greeted them from afar. So they see the promise from afar. They see it coming. So they know there's an assurance that there is a promise. They just haven't touched it yet. It hasn't reached their doorstep yet. But they see it and they say, I see that promise. It's all the way up ahead and I'm thankful I can die in peace holding this faith because I can see that my future generations will be closer to that promise. And then their future generations will be closer to that promise. And then one day, we and them and them, them, we will all be together to claim that promise together one shot. Having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were... Now hear this. They saw, they acknowledged that they were strangers in a strange land. They were strangers and exiles on earth. Now, whoa, Bible, Bible knowledge kids here, very good, huh? You're like, not yet exile, ma. Abraham's time, not yet exile, ma. right? Exile is only like later, not even Egypt yet, you know? So this exile is different. He says that they recognized that they were strangers and exiles, not in Babylon, not strangers and exiles in Egypt, strangers and exiles where? On earth. What does it mean to be an exile on earth? You think about it. If you're in exile on earth, you know what that means? It means you don't really belong. It means you have a different home. 
if you are in exile, and I know many of you are for, come from, have background in a foreign country, though you may have stayed in Malaysia for quite a long time now. If you are, if you are living in Malaysia, your second home, you have a first home. If you are living in Malaysia as a foreign worker, you have a first home. If you are living in Malaysia uh, uh, um, uh, as an exile or, uh, or, or because you are here um, under refuge, you, have a fir- you had a first home. So what does it mean for Abram and for all his descendants to have had a first home? And now they are exiles on earth. It means this is not home. They are strangers in a strange land. So where is their home? For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. So they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out. So in other words, verse 15, you know what verse 15 is saying? If their homeland that they are seeking is the physical land that they were, they entered, then had to leave, then entered, then had to leave. If they were seeking the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return already. And yes, many people in the world have been travelling in and out of the Middle Eastern land, some to travel, some for pilgrimage, some going home to that land to say, I'm going to make this my land, right? I'm going to make this my home. Some on citizenship return, right? But this is a different thing. It's talking about a different thing. It says that if that's the land they are thinking of, they would have already had chance to go back. In other words, that's not the land that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. As it is, they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly one. So, gosh, what are we doing here? They died in faith. They hadn't received it. They were strangers and exiles on earth. They desire a better country, a heavenly one. Church, I'm going to ask you. Let's forget about Middle East for a moment. Okay, let's forget about Middle East for a moment. I'm going to ask you. We, most of us, are third culture people. We are in Malaysia, English speaking, most of us. If we want to go back to the language of our forefathers and the culture of our forefathers, a lot of it is rooted in other kind of customs that don't really sit very nicely with Christianity. And Chinese New Year, you feel it even more maybe. So you, you can't really go back to that, right? You're kind of like stuck where you are. You want to fully absorb westernized culture you can't because you are who you are and you can't because you were raised by parents of your own parentage and your own culture. So you can't really go and absorb all that stuff as well. You're stuck. You did, neither will you be fully accepted. So you're kind of stuck. We're third culture people. The moment you become a Christian, by the way, you are third culture, right? Because you have, you have taken on board a new culture, a new way of living. You're being reborn. And the moment you become a Christian, you become a stranger on earth. You become an exile on earth, Right? And so, my friends, what culture are you hoping to redeem, to reclaim? What nostalgia do you have? I can tell you, I don't have ancestry that dates back more than four generations. My grandfather was born in Malaysia, in Malacca. My great-grandfather moved to Malaysia from China. I've got no records of my great-grandfather. And even if I did, 
he will be the last one we have records of because everything left in China is like severed, is cut. Now, I know some of you, you go back to China, you can like write your names and your children's names and all that in the book, you know. Books there, it's not here. And even if you could, good for you. Most of us don't. We don't have that. Our family stories go only so far back and then it stops. So we don't have a homeland. We have to hope for a better country, a heavenly one. I know people in, in, the, in the United Kingdom can trace their lineage back to like the kings or whatever, back to the, you know, the medieval ages. Sometimes if you're you landed and you're nobility, you can, right? Because your history and records are there. If you're Jewish, some of you can. I just read about some people who are Jewish and they're today tracing their family line all the way back to several generations away from Abraham. It's crazy, but they can. And yet, what lineage? I'm asking you now, for you, for your sake, what lineage do you come from? And what home are you desiring for? We desire a better country. Now, we love Malaysia. We desire good things for Malaysia. We want good things for this land. We pray for this land. Just this past uh, Friday night, we were here praying for Malaysia and we won't stop because we are called to be salt and light in this land. But your ultimate hopes are for what? So that Malaysia can be like the best country in the world and light to the whole world? Desire at the very bottom of your heart a better country, a spiritual homeland. And I'm going to give you language for this. Desire after New Jerusalem. Not even current Jerusalem. Desire after New Jerusalem because that is the home that you and I came from we don't remember we came from it we were born as Malaysians or we were born as something else as a Nigerian as a Korean as a uh, whatever it is and then we ended up in Malaysia thinking that we are citizens of some nation on earth but God says no you've forgotten you belong to me and I'm giving I'm bringing you home amen Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. He has prepared a city for them. And all these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for now us. God has provided something better for us. What? So that they, the heroes of faith, would not be made perfect. In other words, they would not claim their inheritance without us. So they are waiting for us. To what? Claim the promise. I'm like, how does this work? Let me give you a picture. Abraham checks out from earth. He stands here. Right before this line, right? Abraham stands here. Sarah checks out from earth. Actually, Sarah dies first. So Sarah comes here. Abraham comes here. Jacob, Judah, Joseph, they all come here. They are lining up. All the heroes of faith are lining up. They're like, when can we step in? They haven't stepped in. You know when they'll step in? When all of us join them. And we won't stand here. We'll all stand in one straight line going all the way back down. And Hebrews 11 verse 40 is saying that when we are all together, they will be only made perfect when they are with us. One shot, we'll all step in. And then we'll claim that final inheritance, New Jerusalem, to be our home together forever. God will restore the world. 
He will pass it down through the generations. And we will all find that fulfillment in Christ because through Christ, you will find yourself at the finish line, having fought the good fight, having run the good race, having kept the faith, standing here on the cusp of the final inheritance, not as second class, but in the same straight line with Rahab, with Bathsheba, with Abraham, with all of these people culturally scorned and culturally glorified, all standing there one line. And then God says, enter my kingdom and we'll all enter. Amen? Church, this invitation is for you. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to know that in, Christ, in the Christian Bible, in the Christian way of thinking, it presents a future for you where you will all stand together and as one type of people, no rank, no file, all step into the glory of God together. You do have an eternal home prepared for you. And this is an invitation for you to enter. Amen? Now, he's going to pass it down the generations. I prepared this for a different sermon a long time ago. This is based on the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. God gives the promise to Abraham, right? And that Abraham is going to have two sons. Now, I can't get into this. We covered this, some of this in our camp last year. God's going to give, have, Abraham's going to have two sons eventually. One of his own wife, Sarah, another with a maidservant. But the genealogy, the, the promise is going to go down one line. And it's going to go down the line of Isaac. Isaac's going to have two sons. It's going to go down one line. It's going to go down not Esau's line, but Jacob's line. Jacob's going to have 12 sons. This is even harder now, right? Who's, who's it going to go down? It's going to go down one of the sons, Judah's line. And then Judah is going to have two sons, Perez and Hilton. No, Perez and uh, I forget his other name, right? Um, and then he's going to go down one of them. And so it goes on. This promise goes from generation to generation. It's going to go down the generation of the patriarchs, what we call the patriarchs, right? And can I just be straight? If you think that Bible heroes are all like, wow, so good, uh, so squeaky clean. Some of these guys are the worst guys. So Jacob, if you've never read your Bible, go read the story of Jacob, Genesis chapter 20, late 20, 27, like that, you know, all the way to the end. The guy is a rascal beyond repair, but God can repair him, right? Okay, this guy is an absolute dysfunctional family, dysfunctional product of a dysfunctional family. So if you come from a dysfunctional family, a broken home with favoritism, with a sibling rivalry, with kind of murderous intentions in your heart towards your own kin, you know, <laughs> you are in biblical company, okay? And so I want you to know you don't have to be squeaky clean to be part of God's family. I think if one thing this slide is there to show, it's to show you this. You don't need to be squeaky clean to be part of God's family. God's family comprises so many messed up people. And that's why I've, I don't like the expression heroes of faith. It makes them sound like a little bit too squeaky. But the heroes of faith is not in the text, okay? It's, it's, it's sometimes used as an editorial kind of heading that, that um, <laughs> people who make Bibles do, right? They go to Egypt. 
Perez, as a young boy, would have entered Egypt and they would have stayed in Egypt 400 years and then Salmon comes out from Egypt, right? Many generations later, right? Their, their bloodline is going to include sons fathered by mothers who were, I guess, not socially accepted, right? Boaz, who eventually married Ruth, right? He was, his mother was Rahab. Yes! Oh, serious! But they're in different books. Yes! Yes! If you read read Joshua, and you read Ruth, right? And then you read Judges, and you realize that all three is happening thereabouts in the same time, you know? And Boaz, this mother, is Rahab, the prostitute, who was socially shunned, but God rescued her, right? Boaz's Sorry, I'm just, I'm just looking at this again. Obed by Ruth. Yeah, yeah, right? Ruth, Ruth married Boaz, right? That makes sense, right? Ruth was not even a Jew, Jewess. Ruth was a Moabite. And the Moabites, as a race, were enemies of, of the Jews, right? And in today's parlance, she may not even have the right color to be considered part of, of, the, of the prevailing norm that you can, you know... Sh- you know, tayang around. But no, right? Bathsheba. Solomon was the result of a really messed up union. And, and if your Bible describes David and Bathsheba as a kind of like he saw and took, remember, he saw and took is an act of sexual violence, right? It's a form of rape. Let's call it what it is. She has no choice in the matter. But she had no choice. King calls you, what are you going to do? Literally, what are you going to do? You have no choice. It's a form of royal rape. And that particular son died, but Solomon was a result of that union as well. And again, this slide is there to show you that God's family and God's lineage is full of messed up stories. But God, is, God does not flinch. You can tell him how messed up you are. He does not flinch. He just hears you and he says, I've seen you at your worst. I've seen your family at their worst. And I still love you. Will you come and follow me? That's his invitation to you. No matter how broken your situation is, he doesn't even bat an eye. He says, I know. My family also like that. It's okay. My Akong Ama, my Ato, all these other people in my family line, they they have worse stories than you. Come follow me. He's not interested in your past. He wants you to step with him into the future. This story goes all the way to David who becomes the king. He becomes the type of king that is going to cause you to say, I'm going to wait for the next king, the king who's going to sit on the throne forever. And then there are many earthly kings. You see all the earthly flesh, that is just born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. John chapter 3, Jesus says that to Nicodemus, right? That which is born of the flesh is flesh. All the fleshly kings. Cannot pakaiwan. You go and look, all these fellas, I give star for the ones who are quite good. I give no star for the ones who are rotten to the core. Cannot pakaiwan. David was good, man after God's heart. 
But I'm saying man after God's heart and good for a guy who committed murder and who, who, who raped a woman, okay? So in our parlance today, no way you'll be calling the guy a scoundrel, okay? And that one in this chart already considered good, okay? Because man after God's heart. Okay? Now, I'm not mocking. He genuinely kept on repenting no matter how rascally he was. Solomon, yo, the, the fewer things say about Solomon, the better, lah, okay? So brilliant, but really cannot rein in his excesses. So he lived in his excesses and then he just went totally off the rails towards the end, which suitably he got this lineage, lah, you know? Um, please remember that flesh begets flesh, but spirit begets spirit. And if you want a renewal, God is inviting you to a renewed spirit. He wants to give you a new heart. Amen. And they go into Babylon. Jeconiah goes into Babylon, right? And they come out with Zerubbabel as the governor in the land of Israel. Part of that lineage. And then after this comes a whole bunch of people nobody cares about. The intertestamental folks, right? Between Old Testament and New Testament are all these jokers. Nobody cares about them. Nobody knows they are mentioned once at a ch Matthew chapter 1. That's all, right? Who's Azor? Who's Akim? <laughs> Akim sounds like a Chinese name. Akim, right? <laughs> Who's Eliud? Right? Eliud sounds like a combination of Abiud and Eliakim, right? It's Eliud, right? And, and so on it goes. But... That list goes all the way down to Joseph and then Jesus, right? And Jesus now says that this is my family. By Jesus entering the story here, He says that this is my family. And today, my promise can go down many generations, passing through worthy custodians and unworthy custodians. My promise passes through all of them. So just in case you think that, wow, only the superstars get to inherit the promise and then get to choose like which of my children is the best one. I give the promise to the best one. It doesn't work that way. Just God just somehow appoints and then it just goes and goes and goes and goes. God's promise to restore the world gets passed down from generation to generation and the final fulfillment will be in Jesus. But let's swing back to Abraham just before you. Are we okay? You're following Akonama's story, right? Today, okay, huh? You remember this? God calls him out from the tent. He looks at the stars. Immediately after he looks at the stars, God says, so this is how we're going to make this promise. This is how we're going to cut covenant. You're going to find me some animals. This is like the game where it says that everybody go and find one Tencent coin and find one, uh, one size 5 shoe. You all know that game, okay? It's a bit like that. Jesus, uh, God tells him, bring me a heifer, which is a young cow, okay? Bring me a, a young cow, right? Three years old. Female goat, three years old. A ram, three years old. One turtle dove, one pigeon, right? So three big animals and two birds. Bring. So Abraham goes, Lord, he brings, so I found the 10 cent coin. I found the size five shoe. I found the this, right? And he brings him all, right? Slaughter, right? It's sacrifice. And then God says, cut them in two. Now, I really don't know if he butterflies them, okay? For those of you who cook, sometimes you butterfly your fish, right? Okay? I don't know whether it butterflies the cow or it cuts it sideways so the head is on one side, the tail. I don't know. It's too graphic. I don't want to get into that. But this picture, this little sketch painting, shows the animal. Actually, this cow is butterfly. <laughs> if you look closely, right? Okay? 
One half here, one half there. One half here, one half there. Now, in ancient custom, this was how they made. Today we do this. Can I, bro? Chalet. I chalet with you. Yeah, okay. Deal, right? I deal with you. Back then, they were a lot, things were a lot more bloody, okay, because they literally cut and they separate them. And then the two parties are supposed to walk in between. They're supposed to walk in between. When the two parties walk in between, it's their way of saying, if we keep covenant, good. If you break covenant, may you be like these animals. If I break covenant, may I be like these animals. You see or not? You understand or not? The animals becomes a picture of what's going to happen to you if you break the deal. Lucky we don't marry people like this. Our weddings will be so full of blood. Like, can you imagine the bride walking by and then the train of her rope is like <laughs> going over the cow and like blood. And it's like, but if you break covenant, may you be like this. Wow, tialat, man, I tell you. I think the divorce rates will go down. <laughs> if you break covenant, you shall be like this, right? I want to show you this. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. The fire pot, the flaming torch refers to God, okay? In other words, God alone passed between those animals. Abraham didn't pass between the animals, huh? God alone passed between the animals, huh? In fact, God in two pictures, almost as if to say one represents me, one represents you, passed through between the two. What does that mean? It means God says, if I fail this covenant, I die, Lord. May I be like this, Lord? But it also means if you fail this covenant, I also die. Either way, if one of us fails this covenant, I'll die. If I fail, I die, Lord. Rightly so, Lord. If you fail, I will stand in your place and die for you. That's why He is the only one who passed through in between the two. You'll see not. You'll see this picture or not. That's why I tell you. Forgiveness of sins Jesus fulfills that promise He fulfills this promise This promise is to say that Either way The moment covenant gets broken God will pay He will take responsibility for it He will put his own self on the line So when I show you That the whole of the Bible's history Is a snowballing Of people's sin People's brokenness, God trying to restore all of humanity through the promise given to one man and then passed down through the generations until Jesus. It is so that Jesus can become a man just like you and me. And then He can say that on behalf of my people and my tribe, because now He has entered the family line. And He says, now because I entered the family line, I got legal rights to bear, to take the pain, the kill, the die. On behalf of my family, I will. And He fulfills this. And so where do we see it? We see it in a place like Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Why? For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. What's the law of sin and death? I break covenant. I should have died for the, co for the breaking of the covenant. But who sets us free? 
Jesus Christ. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He what? Condemns sin in the flesh. So you and I, we sin. Our whole... Everything, our mind, our spirit, our soul, our body, our everything, our entire nature is fallen. We saw that all the way back in the second sermon in this series, fallen nature of the world. We are all in decay. God condemns the sin in our flesh, in His flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So in other words, by Jesus dying on the cross, today, you and I, can be considered righteous, can be made clean. Our sins can be forgiven. Church, if you've never received this invitation, I'm inviting you one more time to say yes to Jesus. I don't know who else can promise you what. That's immaterial. Today, Jesus says, I've given you a promise and I can fulfill this promise. I've died for you already. If you say yes to I, come and follow me. Jesus says, come and follow me. If you say yes to that invitation, all of your brokenness, all of your decay, all of your, of your, your, your sin, your past, your wrongdoings, your failures, all of that gets cleansed and washed out by Jesus Christ once and for all. That's His invitation to you today. And so we go back to this picture. Remember, all the nations were supposed to come and then flock around God's chosen so that God's chosen will become a bright light to the whole world. And then they will all become people who have the covenant. And because in the natural that nation failed to live up to that, but Jesus lives, dies on the cross, is raised back to life. He fulfills the covenant on behalf of His people Israel. Now Jesus' covenant changed to the cross, right? Now, through Jesus, the whole world will be blessed. Now, through Jesus, there will be an eternal kingdom. Now, through Jesus, um, you and I will rule over the enemies and the enemies are the spiritual powers of darkness all around us. And now, in this kingdom, if you belong to Christ, then this is why you are one of the stars, my friends. This is why you're a star. Those who belong to Christ are Abraham's Seed, God, I'm so passionate about this slide. I could preach on this slide for hours. I'm not kidding you. If you are in Christ, you are Abraham's seed, which means everything I taught about you today is you. It's part of yours to inherit. I don't know what kind of earthly inheritance you have. Maybe your parents left you with much. Maybe your parents have left you with nothing. And maybe you don't know what you, is going to be left for you or not. But God has left you all the inheritance that He has left you. Everything that's been mentioned in this sermon and more because you're going to taste it. And we're all going to stand there. Remember this? Remember this? It's this. Heirs according to the promise. And so my church, the gateway is the cross. The gateway is the cross. And I know, and I affirm the words of the song, I know your plans for me are good. Your promises never fail. And in Jesus, 
every promise of God finds its yes, finds its amen in Jesus. And so my friends, I know this is one thing. I've overpromised on things before in my life, in my own capacity that I failed to deliver. I know for a fact there is no overpromising with Jesus. Jesus offers you the biggest promise ever. Eternal life, eternal rest, eternal glory, your rule over everything together with Him as co-heirs. You will possess a better country. New Jerusalem will come down. You will inherit that land. Whatever happens on earth, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I don't know. My role is to show you that there is another country for us to have a higher, longer hope for. And I'm stirring your hearts towards that inheritance. And if you have never come to Christ today, God has an appointment with you. He's called you. He's brought you here to say, today, come in. Or if you have wandered far from Christ, or if you never really knew, you just grew up in a Christianized home, so you just kind of muddled your way through this faith, went to church, know a bit, don't know a lot, and today you're hearing this whole one story from the start. Today, God is inviting you. Take this relationship. Make it your own. Take it seriously. Can someone remove this for me? Yeah. I want to give a call. For those of you who have never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I look around here, I can see, I believe that most of you have. But I don't want to be presumptuous. Some of you have absolutely never, absolutely never made this decision before. Some of you, you've kind of like grew up with it, but you never really made it for yourself. You never really say yes on your own terms. And I don't care if mom and dad is here with you. If that is you, our eyes will be closed anyway. I want you to acknowledge. If you want to make this real for you, properly for the first time real, either first time real or properly real for the first time, I want us all to close our hands, close our eyes. Close our eyes. Can I have the worship team on stage? Jesus says, my promises will come good. They'll come good through me. I am the yes, I am the amen to every single one of the good things I promised you I would do. And today, the Lord Jesus wants to fulfill that promise in your life to usher you into a family, into a community, into a collective of people who will step into inheriting the best inheritance ever. Jesus says, I'll be your God. You'll be like my people. I'll be like to you a father. You'll be like to me a daughter or a son. He says, come, follow me. And today, this invitation goes out to every single one of you. If there is anyone among you who've either never made this decision before, or you grew up in a Christianized home, but you never really made this decision for yourself, I want you to stretch your hand all the way up right now. If that is you, I want you, to, you want to make a decision and say yes to Jesus, I want you to stretch your hand all the way up, and then you can put it all the way back down so I can see your hand. 
If there's anyone among you, you want to make a decision for Jesus for the first time. Or you want to make a decision for Jesus properly because you never really knew what you were saying yes to. I want to invite you. Stretch your hand to say yes to Christ. This invitation is open right now. No one looking around, all eyes closed, all heads bowed. If you want to raise your hand, you can raise your hand now. You just stretch it up, put it back down, and I'll be able to see it. Amen. If there's none among you here, then if there are, but you're still considering, I pray that you will continue to reflect, continue to consider, continue to give Jesus a chance, continue to give Sunday mornings a chance for you to get to know Him better. Otherwise, for the rest of you, I trust that you are walking in the Lord. And I trust that you are holding on to a promise. Now I want to invite all of us to rise to our feet. Because this is for the rest of you. If you're holding on to a hope for something good in your life, whether it's a healing, whether it's a breakthrough, whether it's a financial breakthrough, whether it's a career breakthrough, whether it's something big happening in your life, whether it's a relational thing, whether it's a marital thing, I don't know what you're holding on to. If you're holding on to some kind of hope, I want you to, I want you to pray. To, I'll pray along with you today that Jesus Christ, the one who is the promise keeper, today He will lift you and He will say, I am with you and He will keep covenant with you. Amen? And we want to pray alongside you. Let's worship with this song. I know your thoughts, your plans for me are good. Hallelujah. I know your thoughts, your plans for me are good. Oh, Jesus. I know you hold my future and Oh, your promises. Your promises never fails. Your promises never fail. Church, if you are holding on to a breakthrough for God, I want you to come to the front. We want to pray alongside you. Amen. Your thoughts, your plans for me are good. Just step out of your chair. If you're looking for prayer in any way, just step out from your chair. Someone at the front will be here to pray alongside you. Your promises never fail. Your promises never fail. Thank you, sister, for coming to the front. If anyone else wants prayer, just come to the front as well. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord God, for every single one of my sisters and brothers who are here, gathered today, physical or even online, for those of you who are watching or signing in from, from wherever you are at. I want us to believe today that Jesus Christ is here in our midst, here in your midst if you are at home. And you will see it come to pass with standing on the promises of God. Just hold on to Him because He will come good on His promise. There is a life beyond this one where He will cause all the promises of God to be fulfilled in their absolute completion. And our hope 
and our waiting is for that until then until then my friends may the Lord bless you and keep you until then may the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you until then may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace and all of God's people say Amen all of God's people say Amen, Amen.